Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back, you health renaissance people. Yes, today we're talking about it's questions and answers. And this is going to be on vaccine safety, efficacy, and choice. And it's interesting. Um, when you look at this, this is a medical procedure that you're doing to healthy people. And, uh, well, let's look at this. Um, and this is a quote from Masago Koga, a past representative of the Consumer Union of Japan. Quote, vaccination is different from medicine in that it intervenes unnaturally and puts viruses into a person's body, so they build antibodies against certain diseases on their own. Infants, however, have an immune system that's not fully developing, so we should ensure it's safe uh, to put so many pathogenic germs in their bodies before doing so. Wow, I'm looking at that. That makes sense. Common sense. So let's look at vaccine rates in 1985. And the reason I choose 1985 is because this is before they passed the law in 1986 to eliminate any product liability by the vaccine companies. Now, in yes, that's right. So the vaccine companies are government-sponsored, okay, now, because literally the government is selling their vaccines. Why? Because the pharmaceutical industry is funding our government. Um, but there is no lawsuit liability. I mean, this wipes out... Um, part of our constitution where we have a right of regress, okay? If somebody does us damage, we can actually take them to court, but you can't do that for vaccines. Um, now, back in 1985, there were only three vaccines offered, the DPT, the MMR, and the polio shot. Now, it's interesting because the DPT and the polio, two of those, are now implicated in causing more death and disease than preventing the illness, we're just going to go over the DPT this time. But at the time, before they were, um, you know, force mandated, he had about a 63, 61% coverage, okay, of the vaccines in America of the children. Because remember, adults weren't required to get it, and it was only the kids. Now, there was no hepatitis B, HPV, influenza, PCV, rotavirus, HIV, varicella, hepatitis A, or meningeal goggle. None of those vaccines were in existence. They weren't even offered. Okay, so 1985, there were three vaccines, DPT, polio, and MMR. Now, you could say that's, that's really seven vaccines because of diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis, measles, mumps, and rubella, and you'd be accurate as well. So of those vaccines, they had around a 62% coverage. Now, the reason, and I just want to run you back through this really quick, um, the reason that they um, passed the law is because there were so many d damages um, from the diphtheria, pertussis, and tetanus immunization that these vaccines were damaging so many people. Um, and also, too, in 1955, about 200 people were paralyzed by the polio vaccine. So, so we're looking that these lawsuits were adding up, and we're talking lawsuits in, in the 74, 79, 66, 68, I mean, multiple lawsuits that these vaccines were causing harm. So here we go up to 1986. Now, you cannot make the vaccine safer. Okay, you could if, you know, you 
actually have incentive, um, but there was they had to come up with a national vaccine injury compensation program that provided a no-fault system for compensating vaccine injuries or death. Now, it's interesting because they realized in 86 that removing the um, economic incentive okay, uh, for pharmaceutical companies to produce a safe product, that this has taken the, I mean, literally, the governor off the engine. It means that, that these guys can go wild and produce as many vaccines as they can and uh, to get the government to support and force it on the public. I mean, this is incredible. So they put Health and Human Services in charge. The government, when they passed this 1986 law, and Health and Human Services was supposed to put a biannual, okay, and this means twice a year, report on the health of the kids. So if you look at the population that's getting these vaccinations, if the population is getting sicker than Health and Human Services with two reports a year should, should have um, information on that. Well, the Informed Consent Action Network actually sued the Department of uh, Health and Human Services uh, because in 32 years they hadn't done one report. Uh, so the person that was watching or the, the group that was supposed to watch to make sure that the vaccines were safe was completely asleep at the will. And then we have the lawsuit Bershowitzworth Wyeth. Now we covered this before, but this was um, a child that was injured by a vaccine and they went and sued the company. Um, however, the judge um, sided with the 1986 law. And I want to read the Supreme Court Justice um, statement so that you can drive this home. No vaccine manufacturer shall be held liable in a civil action for damages arising from a vaccine-related injury or death associated with the administration of vaccine after October 1, 1989. If the injury or death resulted from side effects that were unavoidable, even though the vaccine was properly prepared and accompanied by properly proper directions and warnings, um, and they are unavoidably unsafe products, those products which in the present state of human skill and knowledge cannot be made safe. Wow, that that should drive the point home that there's some challenges. Now, they do have a list of injuries that the Injury Compensation um, Board will um, pay for that they say that these vaccines can actually cause. However, they have limited timing. Like if you look at the DPT shot, okay, which um, is offered throughout the world, but we no longer use it in this country because it caused so much damage, between 2 and 28 days, if somebody has anaphylactic shock, brachial neuritis, um, you know, if it's 29 days or one day, they're not going to be paid for it. So I know it sounds crazy that they have a limit on this. And in fact, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System um, was put in place. Of course, it's not monitored by Health and Human Services. Um, but this is supposed to be a voluntary service where if a physician or parent notices a problem, they, they send a report off to this. 
and you can access this through the CDC site, but it's 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 pretty complicated to, to add something in there, but you can. Now, in 2016, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System re received 15, so I'm talking one year, 59,117 reports of injury, including 432 deaths, um, over 1,000 permanent disabilities, 4,000 hospitalizations, and over 10,000 emergency room visits. Now, the problem is, okay, um, they say that there's fewer than 1% of the adverse events reported at this. And in, in fact, a U.S. Re congressional report, the former FDA Commissioner David A. Kessler estimated that the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System is only a fraction of the serious event. So let's just say that Health and Human Services is right, that it's 1%. So that means that those 59,117 reports of death turn out to 5.9 million. That means that 432 deaths is 43,000 deaths. So you can see it's, it's mind-blowing. I mean, we could just look at one of the vaccines that, again, was not around when the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting Law was passed. This is Gardasil. And has of July of this past year, there were 62,000 adverse events, including 510 deaths, uh, 15,000 emergency room visits. You're talking disability. It is mind-blowing. Okay, and in fact, the safety record of this vaccine was so troubling, Japan ended their recommendation of the vaccine for Japanese girls in 2014. Now, when we look at this, how do we report this? Well, there was actually a really cool uh, journal article about the adverse event um, from vaccines that are common but underreported. Um, and they, they came up with some ideas for this. Now, they did some preliminary data looking at 2006 to 2009 um, on 715,000 patients, 1.4 million vaccines of, 40 different, of 45 different vaccines were given to 376,000 people. And of these, there were 35,000 reactions, possible reactions identified. So that's interesting because when you're looking at it, we had 376,000 um, people were involved in this, okay? And there were 35,000 adverse reactions, okay? That's uh, 2.6% of the total vaccinators. It was really 10% of, of the, of the one. so if you look at the number of people involved or the, the number of vaccinations. Okay, I'd like to look at the number of people involved, not the number of vaccinations. So if you have 376,000 people and you had 35,000 possible reactions, that's almost 10%. So, so let's look at um, what they're looking at. And this is um, an article out of the National Institute of Health.gov. Let me read this. And the title of it is The Use of Three Summary Measurements in Pediatric Vaccination Schedule Studying the Safety of Childhood Immunizations. And what they found out is that if you're using one um, variable or you're testing one, 
great. You can do a double-blind placebo-controlled trial, fantastic. But if you're testing two items together, it's more of a challenge. Now if you put three items together and you're trying to identify which one is causing the problem, you can't really do it. So I'm going to read the, this first part of this article, and it, it's really brilliant. Um, summary measurements such as the number of vaccine antigens, the number of vaccines, and vaccine aluminum exposure by the second birthday are directly related to parents' concerns that children receive too many vaccines over a brief period. High correlation among summary measurements could possibly cause problems in regression models that examine their association uh, with outcomes. And in English, they're saying, look, if we're going to check the number of vaccine antigens, the number of vaccines, and the vaccine aluminum exposure, respectively, um, it's going to be hard to test it unless they're separate. Um, and then again, it, the article goes on to state, um, in the vaccine safety data link, okay, um, summary measurements such as cumulative exposure to vaccine doses, vaccine antigens, and aluminum vaccines were highly correlated with problems. Um, uh, and, and they go on to say that it's, it's hard when you compare the, the two or three measurements respectively. So in the simulations, because they're only looking at simulations, remember, they're looking at to see if the antigens, the number of antigens, the number of vaccines, or the aluminum exposure. And again, we're, we're just looking at those to see if those are a problem. Can you test all three together? And what they said, in the simulations, we also showed that the empirical power to detect association between a true risk factor and the outcome significantly decreased if the other two measurements were in the model. Yeah, you can't find out. And so unless you're comparing the vaccines to a placebo-controlled trial, this stuff doesn't work. So now let's look at this article out of the Journal of the American Medical Association. Uh, and this is U.S. Emergency Department Visits for Outpatient Adverse Drug Events. Now, what's interesting and I'm just looking at the category under five, and this is Health and Human Services. You can find this on their website or go to the Journal of the American Medical Association. They said the number one reason that kids under five would go to an emergency room, okay, was from antibiotic use. And that's around 1,460, um, you know, the average was, um, well, that's for patients under five emergency room visits. However, the second reason for going to emergency room visits was vaccine interactions or vaccines causing damage. That was around 455. So you look at this and you go, well, wait a second. So it's the second most common reason. Getting a vaccine if you're under, five or under is the second most common reason to go to the emergency room. And antibiotics is the first one. Uh, well, we also have an article, Clinical Infectious Disease, that says, for goodness sake, don't treat and, and ear infections with antibiotics. But also, we go on to um, researchers that are using these vaccines that are saying that vaccines are not assessed for their overall effects on health. They are only assessed for their protective effects against the specific disease. 
vaccines have nonspecific effects. Think of that, nonspecific effects. If you're testing a drug for muscle spasms, are you only going to look to see if it causes um, a muscle relaxant effect, or are you going to see if it negatively affects the heart or the digestion or the health? You wouldn't want to look at all the effects of it. Well, that's the same thing with vaccines. They're finding out that there's nonspecific dangerous effects. And there's an article, and this is out of 2017, eBiomedicine. Now, this is going on the introduction of the DTP shot and the oral polio vaccine among infants in urban African community. And what they found, they went in and vaccinated part of this group, and they didn't vaccinate another part because their birth dates, that's how they were organizing them. And what they found was a five-fold higher mortality rate um, in the vaccinated group rather than the unvaccinated. And, and so this was amazing because not only did it show that there was a five-fold greater rate of death from other diseases, it's almost like if you got diphtheria, tetanus, or pertussis, the wild infection, you were protected. But all the studies showed was that if you got the vaccine, you died earlier. And remember, the DTP shot, this was the shot that was causing so many lawsuits in America that not only was it withdrawn, but we had to make it um, illegal to sue the company that was manufacturing it. And in fact, in 1997, the United States took it out of circulation. In Japan in 1981, South Korea in 89, New Zealand in 94, Sweden in 96, Australia in 96, all of these countries, Canada, China, eliminated the DPT shot because of the amount of problems that it was causing. We now use the DTAP, or acellular pertussis vaccine, so we consider it safer. However, the DPT shot um, is still used around the world. So it's the most common vaccine used around the world. And there's, again, a brilliant article by the Informed Action Consent Network communicating with the World Health Organization to say, hey, look, we're showing an increase in mortality by using this vaccine that has been stopped in, in a number of industrialized nations. Um, I know, that sounds crazy. Now, you might think that, well, the DPAT, the, the acellular pertussis vaccine, might be safe. However, it shows, and this was a study um, funded by the FDA, that shows that if you get this vaccine, you harbor B pertussis. That means that, well, let me read the article. Our data raises the possibility that widespread um, a pertussis vaccination can create hosts more susceptible to B pertussis infection. That's right. If you get this vaccine, you're more susceptible. You don't know you have it, but you can spread it. Now let's look at more. There's a, um, a, a book uh, by Greg Wilson, and it's called Vaccination Behavioral Disorders. And they go on to state that contemporary studies on the pertussis vaccine select an arbitrary time limit in which reactions are considered to occur related to the vaccine. This time is usually three to seven days. Uh, however, you're looking at months to years before this happens. We can look at um, 
uh, again, Archie, uh, Dr. Archie Kalakurnos, and he wrote a book called Every Second Child. Now, he um, viewed that vaccines, scurvy, and hemorrhagic diseases in, in the 1970s, uh, he was looking at Aboriginal children and observed that children frequently died following immunizations. However, if he supplemented with vitamin C, uh, they made out okay. Um, we do know that vaccines are associated with autism. If you look at the Journal of Toxicology, Environmental Health, 2011, the title of the article is A Positive Association Found Between Autism Prevalence and Childhood Vaccination Uptake Across the U.S. Population. We know, according to the American Academy of Pediatrics, that we have the sickest generation of children ever. This is the, the biggest chronic disease epidemic of any um, ever recorded okay, in history, chronic illness or disease epidemic ever in recorded history. We are living through right now. In the last 30 years, we're seeing a rise of this where 54% of our children have a chronic illness or disease. I'm going to bring up this patient, and we hear the story over and over again, born perfect, meeting all the milestones, that at 18 months got the vaccines, fever, then lost eye contact, lost connections, seizures, constipation, poop smelled crazy. Um, yeah. So remember back when vaccines were a choice? We had a 1 in 10,000 autism rate. Cancers in childhood cancers were, I mean, ridiculously rare. Autoimmune conditions were ridiculously rare. Chronic illness or disease was about 12% of the population, not 54% now. Um, uh, yes, so why did the schedule go from 11 vaccines that were available in 83 to 72 doses of 17 different vaccines now. Uh, and again, the U.S. Supreme Court said there's no product liability, there's no exemptions, there's no choice. And even in California, um, SB 276 is taking, or 277, is removing the medical doctors to get rid of this. So where is all this stuff going? Well, in Argentina, they just passed a law, and this is by a, a politician who's also a pediatrician. Boy, does that sound familiar. we got that crap going on in California with Senator Pan. Um, what they're requiring, and this is all people, okay, <laughs> they're rushing this through. Um, you have to get a unique vaccination card, okay, and to get a driver's license, passport, or ID. This is at a social equity for all stages of life. This means it's mandatory, mandatory that you get the adult vaccines and kid vaccines. And this is where we're headed. I mean, we already know that parents have been, you know, um, chaining themselves to the state capital in order to, to express their displeasure at our government not paying attention to its people, okay, that they're using fear and ignorance. Um, so we, we do have to change this. Uh, and physicians, there, there's one uh, website, physiciansright.org, physiciansrights.org. Uh, they've got a number of different things, but they called 882 doctors in California to see if they can get a medical exemption. And 
all of the doctors said, no, they would not do it because now if you're a medical doctor and you write five exemptions, okay, each exemption will be reviewed by a state official. And if you write more than five, you will be literally reported to your governing body. And again, think of this. 54% um, of our, our children have a chronic illness. Today, they say 70%, 70% of our American kids aged 17 to 24 are unfit to serve in the U.S. military because of mental illness, obesity, asthma. That's 70% of our people can't even do it. I mean, if we look at the, the hygiene hypothesis, okay, and this is a, a brilliant um, title of the article, is the effect of infections on susceptibility to autoimmune and allergic diseases. What he was talking about in this article is that if you challenge your immune system with um, infections, like let's say you actually get uh, chicken pox, you get... Um, um, measles, you get mumps, you get, you know, the childhood infectious diseases, you actually get the common cold, you get the flu, and you recover from it, you are actually protected against certain autoimmune conditions. I mean, look at it like um, gravity. Since we've been going up to space, um, our, our people are finding out that without the presence of gravity that you end up with certain diseases and conditions that your muscles, bones, and organ tissue are, are stressed, that you actually need the stress of gravity. And we're also finding out that you need the stress of being having your immune system go through this workout or exposure. Um, see, right now, according to the Journal of the American Medical Association, we're leaving the age of pestilence and famine and moving in to the age of degenerative and man-made diseases. That's right. So we need to wake up to the fact that there is a major problem, okay, and this is the emperor has no clothes, folks, uh, that this is a forced medical procedure without informed consent that has a tremendous amount of evidence that it's done harm in the past. This is why we've changed and eliminated some of the vaccines. But now there is such a fevered pitch to jump on the vaccine bandwagon. And the reason is you've got um, so many million kids, but that's only about a third of our population. If you can increase the vaccine coverage to adults and force compliance, you're talking trillions and trillions of dollars. Um, and, and aside from which, since we know that the vaccines trigger an inflammatory response, you're talking all the other inflammatory responses like um, sinuses, bowel disorders, everything that the pharmaceutical industry will, will have to take care of on the back end. So if you force vaccinate every man, woman, and child in America, um, whether they want to or not, with, with the 15 required adult vaccines, with the 72 required childhood vaccines, that is an experiment that has never gone on. Uh, you will be a participant in the largest experiment of the human immune system to ever happen on our planet. And think of the human body as an ecosystem. 
we're intervening in the immune system aspect of this with a completely foreign introduction of pathogens, adjuvants, and viruses or pathogens. I mean, to get inside of the body. So it's a, a completely abnormal introduction of these pathogens in an involved immune system uh, that's been around for multiple millennia. And how is this affecting our body? Well, you can look at our population. 70% of our kids couldn't even join the military. And we're talking 54% of our kids have a chronic illness or disease. We're talking a one in two cancer rate. So this is the sickest animal population the planet's ever seen. So we have a chance now that, think of this, if we take a step back and have the pharmaceutical industry financially and morally responsible for their products, just repeal the 1986 law, that would be wonderful. And how about healthcare research be independent? See, now we've got the, the, the fox watching the hen house. If, we, if the pharmaceutical industry was forced to pay for independent research, we would have a radical different outcome in the, um, the, the technological advancements. Particularly, they would be forced to produce a safer product. And what if the medical schools no longer accepted funding from research for the pharmaceutical industry? Radically different. We would have real science and real doctors not a dogmatic approach to this. So we have a chance to take our health back. We've done talks on civil disobedience. Um, when they force adult compliance, then we do not comply. Um, we're going to inundate the jails with the non-compliant, non-vaccinated people, <clears throat> and that will make a massive difference. We we are only ruled by the government because we consent. We can now change this. Take back your health. Take back our lives. This is Dr. John Bergman. God bless you, and I love you. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.